Join Sarah Weiss in the infinite field of energetic aliveness and heart-centered wisdom. This is the Earth Love Spirit Podcast. Welcome to the Earth Love Spirit Podcast. I'm Sarah Weiss, and I am looking out at a blue sky, a bright sun, lots of birds flitting around, and this is a big change for us in Northeast Ohio because it's been pretty grim and cloudy for several weeks here. So we welcome the sun, we welcome the blue sky, we welcome the birds, and welcome to you, dear listeners. Today we have a very interesting being to interview. Her name is Karen McGregor, and she has written a book called The Tao of Influence, Ancient Wisdom for Modern Leaders and Entrepreneurs. And it's a really interesting book. It's almost like a guidebook to how to live a clean, clear life, aligned with your soul, with your outward expression in life, with your relationships. And it's well organized, it's easy to read, the points come across clearly, and you'll see that in our interview today. So help me welcome Karen McGregor. Hello, Karen, it's so nice to have you with us today on the Earth Love Spirit Podcast. Thank you so much, Sarah, for having me here. You know, everything that you have to share with us today, I feel like we could take hours, we could, you know, have you present your whole body of knowledge with us today, but we're going to try to refine this down to some really helpful information for the listeners, because in your book, Uh, The Tao of Influence, Ancient Wisdom for Modern Leaders and Entrepreneurs, you have presented a very clear pathway for a clean, beautiful life that applies across the board. And so I'd like to, you know, share a lot of the content like for you to share a lot of the content that's in that book. But let's first get a little background. And uh, I know that at some point you were a professional intuitive, that you were a teacher, and maybe you can take us through a little journey of your life of how you got to where you are today. Thank you, Sarah. Certainly, I would love to share that. So one of the things that I always say is that we teach, you know, what we, what we most need to learn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so um, back um, a number of years ago when I was a professional intuitive, um, the reason that I really got into that and really got aligned with, with my intuition and teaching others to move from their head to their heart was because I was going through a divorce and I was trying desperately to understand myself and the world and my, and my relationships through my head, uh, through my intellect rather. And I just couldn't do it. And I became more and more frustrated. And I realized that if I really was to live my true aligned self, then I had to do more than just uh, believe that my intellect was the answer. And so I started searching and I came across a couple of wonderful individuals who really supported me to understand myself on a deeper level and to hear the wisdom of my inner teacher. And when I started to hear that wisdom, I became more and more drawn in and realized that, you know, spirit is such a huge part of who I am. And uh, it is actually my essence, uh, as it is for everyone else. But I really felt it, you know, I really felt that this was who I am, rather than this being that goes about and does different activities. So when I did that, Sarah, I ended up um, completely shifting the way that I approached my entire life. I started to read more books about, as many of us do, 
personal development like Wayne Dyer, you know, but with a spiritual bent, Marianne Williamson, uh, you know, Deepak Chopra, Eckhart Tolle. And, and so I just really um, started to, that whole world opened up for me. And fast forward, uh, you know, a number of years later, uh, after having a very successful business in, in teaching people to, to speak and sell on stage, I've been doing that for 10 years. Um, about three years ago, I got the call to go to Assisi, Italy, and to start writing a book. And, and I really didn't want to do that. <laughs> But as we know, when we get a call, often our books are written, I always say they're called, at least called by spirit. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I was called, I was called to write this book, The Tao of Influence. It wasn't, it wasn't me saying, I want to write a book. Um, and so I, you know, I went to Italy, I, I sat in a tiny little apartment in Assisi, uh, of course, the uh, birthplace, birthplace of St. Francis, uh, who was all about peace and stillness and, you know, really not, not nothing of the material world. And so I sat there and wrote this book and, uh, and most of it came out in that, in that year. And then the following year, I returned to Assisi and, and completed writing the book. And uh, so that's, uh, that's really taken me on such a special journey to understand uh, the, the nature of true influence. You know, I, I really believe that we're all, it doesn't matter who we are, every single moment we're, we're either contributing to a positive uh, growth in the world and consciousness in the world, or we're not. And, uh, and that's in every single moment. So we, I think we all have this amazing opportunity to live our lives as influencers and not as influencers of the old world, but influencers of the new world. Not the, I, I have something to, to uh, get and I'm going to get it now and I don't care who's uh, in the way. That, that's old world influence. But, but new world is really... How can we support people to come into alignment with their consciousness, with love, with stillness, with peace, and do so um, in a way that, that's practical? And, and I believe that that's you know, a, a strong part of my book is, is really looking at how can we do that in a, in a practical way that, that everyone can, can benefit from. So you bring up Assisi, and I noticed in the foreword of your book, um, oh my God, I just blanked on James Twyman. Yes. The foreword for your book. And of course, he's deeply connected to St. Francis. And so I'm just going to circle back around a little bit there because you have such a living presence. I know that from uh, listening to your uh, YouTube videos and reading your book and things like that, I have benefited already. There's kind of a living quality to my cells and my energy that is coming alive just being in contact with your energy and I'm wondering if um, you could describe a little bit about the experience in Assisi of how something was brought alive in you Yes. Oh my goodness. This is such a beautiful question because I, it, it, it brings me back to the time of walking in Assisi and walking into, and, and uh, before anyone gets, uh, gets their feathers ruffled in, into a church, uh, you know, some people are not church people. Uh, I actually love all churches, temples, synagogues. Um, there's something magical when I walk inside, but in particular, when I went into these um, particular churches they had they were so barren of any gold or adornments or you know fancy things and I would sit Sarah I would just sit all alone except when the tourists decided they needed to come in and take a picture of the you know the famous cross but I would I would sit alone in in these CC churches and and it was the most unbelievable 
a feeling of stillness. It was almost, you know, for, for people who don't understand it, it would be almost like an eerie feeling because it's so still, so incredibly uh, uh, deep in terms of my spiritual growth to sit there all alone. And sometimes I would sit there for hours, you know, between their services or whatever, hours. And it, it shifted me internally. I'm uh, starting to cry here. I know you can't see me, but my tears, because that is where I discovered real truth, that there's so much out there, so much talk, so, so many people talking. And it's, sometimes it's a wonderful thing, but so often it's in the stillness that we discover truth. And, and I believe that, you know, being in Assisi uh, really supported me um, to, for the first time, really understand a deeper level of truth. It really speaks to not only the silence, but listening to a call to a sacred place that many people would not even allow themselves to consider doing that. How do I pick up from my family, from my work, from everything, and just follow my heart and why does a sacred place matter why can't i do it right here what what is that special connection to place if we're called to it you know yeah and i i you know i love your question because i have often many many times thought well i could do that here i could have that in my own home and and so that is where I started to experiment. Where do I feel this, this mystical sense of stillness? And so I noticed that I also felt that in nature, not everywhere in nature, but in certain areas, certain spots. And again, Sarah, I love your show because, you know, you do talk about the vibration. And there are places that I've gone to in Peru where I just weep, like the land was so... You could just feel the, the love coming off of the land. And, and so it isn't everywhere in nature, but there are certain spots that I now go to. And uh, it doesn't have to be far away. It could, could even be in my backyard. I have a beautiful spot that I really feel connected to in my backyard. And, um, and, but it is that space in which we feel a deep calling to our our sense of spirit, our sense of self in, inside of us and around us. Um, and it's, it's, so, <laughs> it's so tangible to me now. And yet, when I was called to Assisi, I was afraid. I didn't just jump on the first plane and go over there. I did have a lot of fear. And I thought, what am I doing? You know, I'm leaving behind my kids and, and everything that I'm, I'm, I'm doing right now. But it was only to really share with me the, those initial experiences. I can now have them in other places. Um, and of course, in meditation, I can reach that beautiful, you know, space as well. Um, it's just that vibrationally, I, I feel the land, you know, I, I feel those, those particular churches that were devoted to, they were not devoted to greed, they were not devoted to, you know, um, some of the things that we see um, that have happened in the past. Uh, they, they were just simply places of worship, you know, and that was beautiful to me to, to see no no materialistic, you know, St. Francis, of course, was not about that at all. So really, it came through in the vibration. Mm. You know, it's interesting, because when you're called to a place, I know, when I am, it's like it keeps appearing in your life over and over and over again. And then it starts appearing in your thoughts, and it really starts to take on a focus in your being. And there's a moment when I know for me, and, and obviously you followed it, you know, you finally say yes 
<laughs> and I only say that to encourage people if they're having that experience and that it you know your sacred not your sacredness is not limited to a place but there are are places that can animate something in you that you then carry as a living space within you forever then and that is so beautifully said, Sarah. It, it, that is exactly what it is. It's, it's an animation of what is within. Yes. Uh, so, Karen, the idea that you then, okay, so we've, we've gone to Peruvian uh, shamanism, land-based indigenous spirituality. We've, we've gone to the St. Francis and the church and Catholicism. Now we're going to the Tao. Yes. <laughs> I love our journey today yes. to many different lands. <laughs> and you use the word influencer. And, you know, the first time I looked at that, it immediately brought uh, images of corporate networking kind of things. But that's not how you're using this. And please share with our listeners what, how you approach this idea of influencer. Thank you. So really there's, I think we all go, well, maybe not all of us, but I think most of us do go through three stages. And one is where um, I would call it the, the fear-based stage where we, you know, we have to pay our bills. We, we have to, uh, you know, get the mortgage uh, paid for uh, or the rent. And uh, perhaps we find ourselves a little bit desperate you know what what can i do to get what i need to get in order to to survive and i remember those days and that's very very difficult to be in that situation especially you know as someone who is maybe finding a job or has a sales career and needs to make that next sale to pay for their rent and and i and i've been there i know what that's like um but what happens for many people is that um, influence becomes uh, a form of manipulation. In other words, I'm trying to get what I need to get my needs met, and therefore I need to speak in a way that perhaps isn't myself, or perhaps I know if I do this, the other person will do that. And those kinds of things that happen often subconsciously um, or often early on in, in our life and, and sometimes, you know, right now with everything that's happening uh, in our world, there are people losing jobs left, right, and center. So I want to remind those people as well that, you know, as you go through the, the fear of loss, the fear of identity, it can be very easy to think, well, uh, I, I have to influence this person to get what I want. And the minute that we do that, Sarah... You know, that's why I always say when I teach sales, I do not teach about getting what you want. It isn't about that. It's about serving people and serving from the heart. And so it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a vibrational shift, as you say. So the second form of influence is let's have everybody win, right? Let's just forget about the fear and let's have everybody win. And, and that's, that's wonderful too, but it ends up being very transactional. So, you know, if I do this for you, you're going to do this for me and, and we'll all feel good. Now that was my first marriage. It was highly transactional. Did I know that at the time? No, absolutely not. But many relationships, um, you know, end because, they have finally come to the conclusion that all along it's been a transactional relationship. And so to get to the third level of influence, which is, you know, for the good of all, for the good of all, may, you know, may we do things, say things, think things that are for the good of all beings, all sentient beings. And uh, I'm tearing up again as I say that because that, you know, that's my ideal for, for the world. And, and I hope that when people read my book, that that will be something that, that comes to them, the, the realization that that's really what influence is, is, is that when we come from a place of, for the good of all beings, all sentient beings, that we, that we naturally influence. We're not trying 
to influence. It, our, our intent is not even to influence, but it happens because of who we are. Mm. That's beautiful. You know, Karen, I'm going to open this up a little bit more because, you know, I work with a lot of people who are studying and pursuing their spiritual journey. And very often, they don't know how to speak up for themselves. They don't know how to interact with the world coming from their authentic place. They're more in a passive place and maybe have a fear of navigating this world because there's been maybe so much judgment placed upon people that have a spiritual orientation. And so um, your book has so many helpful pointers in how to have these conversations that are not polarized. And I'm wondering if you could share some of that because uh, I, I'm hoping that people can get over their fear and start showing up and, and stop with the hiding and really bring their beautiful spiritual heart to influence our world. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is, um, you know, a big, a big part of my work is around our use of power. And for me, I have a very different definition of power than, than the majority of the world. And that is that uh, power, when we are born, we're all born with power and it is, it is our pure love. It is our, our purest form of who we are when we first, you know, come into this planet. And so what happens is that as, as babies and little children, we really need and want our needs met. And at first they're basic needs and then they become a little more complicated as we grow older. But at some point, you know, in those early formative years, we realize that not everybody wants to help us get our needs met, or maybe they do, but we perceive that they don't. We perceive that they don't through their behaviors and actions. And so as soon as we perceive that, like, oh, so-and-so said this, did that, whatever, they, you know, they must not like me, love me, they must not think I'm smart, whatever it is, uh, I'm not good enough. But as, as soon as we fail to get our needs met with the lack of support of someone else, um, then we go to getting our needs met in other ways. And so each person chooses a way that works for them. And so that's what I talk about in my book is that some people choose the way of the controller. So in other words, you know, my life is chaotic, I can't, I, you know, I can't really rely on anyone, therefore, I am going to control my own life. I'm not going to delegate anything. I'm not going to ask for help. I'm going to do everything myself. And so there's that power pattern that becomes, for some people, when they get older, you know, they might be the boss, they might be the CEO, they might be an entrepreneur, they might be a father, a mother, uh, but the role that they take becomes decidedly that of one who controls. And so I only give that as an example because it's a very common one. We can see it so much right now. You know, as you said, the polarized views um, and, and, and to catch ourselves before we start, uh, well, <laughs> before we say it, but to catch ourselves when we're thinking it is this really a thought that comes from my pure love power or is it coming from those old wounds of the controller? Um, another example is, as you said, people who withdraw from the world. I actually have uh, that, that, that exact same word is part of these patterns as well. So when we withdraw from the world, again, uh, as a young person not getting our needs met, uh, we decide, you know, okay, so if I'm not seen, if I'm not going to get my needs met, therefore I'm going to become even more invisible. So you see the controller becomes more visible, more controlling, and the withdrawer decides, okay, I'm just going to disappear quietly into the background. I'm not going to say anything. You know, I'll play my part in this family or this, this school, 
uh, when, you know, when they're young. And they decide finally at some point uh, that this is who they are. So people will say things like, well, I'm just, you know, um, you know, that's just who I am. That's how I am. Uh, I am shy. I am quiet. But in fact, whether you're loud, quiet, or anything in between, you know, most of it does come from those formative years and, and the, the decisions we make in order to get our needs met. So the withdrawer, I always say, uh, look at your behavior. Be completely aware of your thoughts as you withdraw. What is going on inside of you? What is, what is the story that you're, you know, that you're bringing to the world um, that's causing you to justify withdrawing from the world? So I'll give you an example. Even on social media, we see these power patterns. We see people who are withdrawing from social media and they say, I don't want anything to do with it. Uh, I'm never going to go on social media again. And, uh, and they have their reasons for sure. Or there's the person on social media who attacks. Uh, Sarah, I'm sure you've had this. I have had this. Mm -hmm. um, every time I state a view, and often my views are not, you know, the, the, the normal, um, what should I say, the media's, the media type style views. Um, uh, anything beyond the, 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 the box that we see uh, in, uh, in media, um, then, uh, then I'm attacked. And so what at first, you know, even myself, I was thinking, what is going on? Why are people so mean? Why are they so hateful? And so I realized that those people that attack are actually the controller because if they want, if, you know, as youngsters, if they had to control their environment and they decided, you know, that's how I'm going to live and survive. Now with the pandemic, we see people, you know, attacking each other because they want to control their reality. They want, they, and they want to be right. That's a form of control, by the way, they want to be right. So, the best thing we can do to have those conversations, first of all, is to look at ourselves. Where are we being triggered? Where are the old wounds coming up for us, the old power patterns? I mean, there's, been, there's many more like blaming and judging and, you know, um, those kinds of things. Uh, the martyr, the victim, those are, you know, those are uh, common power patterns as well. Um, but to look at it, to really look at what am I thinking? Allow your thoughts to go down that stream because they're not who you are. They're just old patterns running up against, you know, an unusual time that we're living in. Let's be honest. It's very, very, probably we haven't seen this, you know, for, for many, many, many decades. Um, so we're living in an unusual time. And so all of us, when we start to go into our fear about that, we actually go back to those power patterns. We relive the old pattern that we originally used to get our needs met when we thought they weren't being met, or we, maybe we made that story up. Whatever it was, doesn't matter whether it was real or perceived. Um, yeah, so, so I hope that helps. Yeah, and, and a couple of the points that you made were interesting for well just the last one it's like the stories we make up inside our head i mean uh, we're i don't consider myself a really dramatic person but man oh man the the stories that i make up are pretty dramatic <laughs> <laughs> yes and me too you know we i think none of us are really escaping those those stories and 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 the fact is that you know, pr probably there's, you know, one or 2% of the truth there, but we are, th what, what happens to our mind, and this is why I love teaching about the mind, is that the mind wants to be right. Even if you're not a controller, it usually wants to be right. That's just a, that's just a quality of everybody's mind. They want to be right. Um, so then the story has to match that to, in order for you to be right, you have to create that story so that there's alignment between 
the fear of being wrong is diminished, right? And the, the, control, the controller takes on, okay, I got to be right. So therefore, I've got to tell the story in a way that aligns with that need to be right. And, and that's what happens for most of us. You know, you titled your book, The Tao of Influence, and Ancient Wisdom for Modern Leaders and Entrepreneurs. Okay, now, the Tao is considered the middle way, right? Yes. And there's this incredible beauty in the, in Lao Tse's words and it's it's like the tiniest most pithy spiritual book that there is and can you take us on a little journey of how you got to that middle way because you're addressing you know the business world the corporate world your your book was a a number one bestseller on wall street um and and in the corporate world so take us on that journey for sure thank you so you know one of my spiritual mentors he told me a story once and and it really fits in with the Tao because people say well really you know what is the Tao what is the the middle way and, and the best way I can describe it is is how he shared he said you know don't lean forward and don't lean back and when you think about that wisdom, what it really means is when we desire something that we think is going to make us feel better or feel okay about ourselves, we chase that thing and, and it becomes it, almost like I said earlier, like the control part. We, we want it so badly. We're attached to it. We're going to get it uh, come hell or high water. And so when we do that, when we chase things, it can show up in many ways. It can show up as, uh, you know, an addiction. It can show up as, um, you know, I'm going to buy more things. I'm going to attain more things. It can show up as I need that promotion because if I don't get it, what does that mean about me, myself, you know? And so we, again, Sarah, it's the stories. We make up stories to chase after what we think we want in order to be okay with who we are inside. And the middle way is really about, can you be okay with who you are inside right now in this present moment? And then, and then the opposite. So, you know, don't lean forward, don't lean back. So don't lean back is, is really about what we talked about earlier, the, the withdrawing, uh, the I'm going to, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to step back. I'm not going to take part in this world. I'm not going to um, call anyone, connect with anyone. I'm not going to uh, step into a movement or, or something that I feel is important. I'm just going to back away. And that includes relationships. We might back away from getting uh, intimate. We might back away from, uh, you know, just a, uh, having a, a really good friend. And, and when we find ourselves backing away, again, that, that is not the Tao. The Tao teaches us that when you are in the present moment where there's no old stories, no fear, that we can really live in the present and be uh, in our uh, spiritual essence. Now, what happens for most of us is we teeter, uh, including myself, between, you know, trying to get what we want and backing away. And so we, we spend our whole lives, you know, teeter-totter, teeter-totter, when in fact, the joyful, peaceful way is in the middle. So the Tao Te Ching, just because we haven't even really mentioned it, uh, thank you for mentioning it, uh, Sarah, is 81 verses, and it teaches people really about the way being your deepest, most innermost spiritual being. How do we live that rather than get caught up in the illusions, you know, of our, of our fears. Um, And so when, when I look at the Tao Te Ching, it was such an inspiration for me to write this book because I came across a verse Actually, it was, you know, there's different versions of the Tao Te Ching. So Lao Tzu 
over 4,000 years ago wrote the Tao Te Ching. And uh, when it's translated into English, there's, there's many different versions. My favorite, in case anyone wants to uh, look at it, is Jonathan Starr's version of the Tao Te Ching. And, uh, and so I was reading about uh, one, one thing that caught my mind and my heart and my spirit more than anything else, and that is that, um, you know, can we as human beings have challenges but not experiencing experience them as challenges so i'll say that again can we have a challenge but not experience it as a challenge and that drew me in sarah because i thought wow is that possible like could i live my life having a challenge but not being attached to it not being fearful not being uh, obsessed with it, not having stories around the challenge, um, and not you know not having these multiple thoughts that go on forever about that challenge. And I thought, you know what i I need to I need to learn that. I want to learn that. If that's the only thing I learned for the rest of my life, it would be it would be worthwhile. So that really drew me into the Tao and I started to study it and, and live the principles. And, and while I'm not perfect, I always admit to everyone, you know, this is a, a lifetime journey. It is, um, I believe, the reason that I wrote this book as well is because I, I wanted to share the principles of the Tao in everyday life, like it, how we can come to that in everyday life. And so that's how the power patterns, um, how I worked with them to really uh, share when we are aware of them, when we release them, when we observe them, but not get attached to them, we can start to come back into the present moment, into the Tao. So in your teaching and working with a wide range of people, uh, do you also teach them how to get into that place of silence or that place where they're not teetering? Yes, yes. So I have a whole section in my book around stillness. And um, uh, the, the thing about still, it's a tricky thing. So mm -hmm. let me explain to you. <laughs> <laughs> So I used to, at a very young age, be fascinated with, you know, stillness and meditation. And, um, and I, I always thought that it just meant, okay, if I practice this enough, I'm going to learn to be still, not only in meditation, but also outside of meditation. And um, nothing could have been further from the truth. So, you know, the, the, the thoughts, the worries, the fear just became more, more and more intense, both, both outside of meditation and inside of meditation. And so what I realized for myself, Sarah, was exactly what I teach about in the power patterns is, you know, the more that we can become aware of our individual thoughts and actually trace them back to those those core wounds that we had as children, it's much, much easier to see those thoughts for what they are and release them. But when we don't realize it, we get caught up in the story and we actually live that story as though it's real. So, you know, 99% of what we're thinking is, is not even real it's just thoughts that that um you know i always say it's like giving a two-year-old you know a great big bar of chocolate and letting them loose in toys r us you know <laughs> that's a mess <laughs> right you're asking for trouble <laughs> so so that's what our mind is like it's like totally unruly and undisciplined but but we can accept it when at least we can understand where those thoughts are coming from and, and have an opportunity to then release it. And we can release it so much easier if we understand, um, you know, the, the dynamics of what is actually going on there. So as an example, every time that I get in a challenge now, 
instead of, and I still do sometimes, but it's instead of thinking, okay, I'm going to blame this person, I'm going to blame this circumstance, or I'm going to blame myself, because that is a, you know, that's a power pattern that I've lived with my whole life is blame. And so instead of that, now, uh, when I catch myself blaming in my head, sometimes it comes out of my mouth, and, but the <laughs> first thing, as soon as I say it, or as soon as I think it, I, I actually stop and I think, okay, what is this really about, Karen? And I have to go back and look at where is that original wound, and when I can come back and love that little girl who had that original wound, I can much easier release the blame and release and have compassion. But it's so hard if you don't, you know, because you think you're living in a reality, but you're not. You're just living the old patterns of the past. So you're really inviting people to a process of self-inquiry and a process of self-love, right? Yes, it is. It's so much about that. And in fact, I was reading one of Sharon Salzberg's book uh, on loving kindness, the one of her originals, and uh, and she has a, a practice of meta in there about self love, and that's the that's the very first thing she says. You know, before you give love to everyone else in your practice, you must give love to yourself. And so I think that getting back to what I said about you know releasing those power patterns. It, it takes a while because we have so much internal self-hatred. And I never realized that, Sarah. I always thought, oh, I'm, I, I love myself. Of course I love myself. Like, what do you mean I don't love myself? And I didn't realize it until I started to do that deeper work. Wow, you know, all the self-loathing that I actually started to recognize on a very subtle level. And so we do need that. We need that self-compassion, self-love, and allowing those thoughts to go down the stream of illusion, really. I, I, I literally see those thoughts going down uh, a metaphorical stream when I, when I think them. And, it, and it's very, very helpful. You know, bringing up this idea of self-loathing, which seems to be kind of a widespread Western phenomena, uh, about 30 years ago, I went to a lecture with Soigil Rinpoche, who wrote The Art of Living and Dying, uh, the Tibetan book of Living and Dying. Yes. And uh, he described self-loathing in such an interesting way. If you don't mind me sharing a Please. little here right now. Um, he came from Tibet, came to the West, and... For about 20 years, he, he was teaching at the University of Virginia in Oxford, and he was befuddled by certain Western quality that he could not figure out. And he always was trying to figure out how to teach Westerners the Tibetan teachings and the meditations and how to convey that to Western mind. And it took him 20 years of being in the West to figure out that that quality was self-loathing. Yeah. He didn't even have a word or a reference point for it in his life. Wow. It, it was not something he had ever experienced, had a name for anything. Yeah. And it seems to be a unique part of the Western culture that is so normalized that we don't realize we're swimming in it. You know, it, what you say uh, hits me so hard because I, I think that a lot of the Western ways have been to glean happiness and, and self-understanding by by going outside of ourselves. So it's, it's an external culture. Um, whereas in the East, and I'm generalizing, but mm -hmm. you know, there is that more of an internal culture. 
Let's look within. Let's be within. Let's take time for stillness, for presence, and all of that. And we're just, you know, really babies in comparison to to the, the, the East where, where it's not, the focus is not the outside it, and it never has been. But for us, you know, living in a Western world or anyone who's, who's uh, listening to this recording and you live in the West, you understand there's so much, everything around you is a draw to the outside world, everything. Mm-hmm. And so I think that self-loathing uh, I think is part of that quest to find meaning on the outside and you never can find meaning on the outside. So I think that that self-loathing just grew and grew and grew. And now, you know, you're right. It's, it's, it's rampant. It's, it's in almost everybody you meet. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, thank you for bringing that up, Sarah. You know, let me ask you this too, because, you're working in the corporate realm. How is this material received? I mean, you were a bestseller for the Wall Street Journal. So yes. how is the business world taking in this um, this approach of yours? Well, you know, it's very interesting because there are certain people who want, uh, it's just like I was watching The Crown the other day, you know, uh, the, the Netflix series, The Crown, and it reminds me so much of, of, of this need to hide our spiritual side of us. And it is devastating people in the corporate world who want to share, they want to go within, but they're still not able to fully do it. It's starting. For instance, you know, I'm being invited to to talk at Microsoft about, uh, you know, and they they encourage all sorts of personal development, which is wonderful, you know. But the thing is, most groups are still extremely careful to include any any sort of word that might indicate spirituality when in fact personal development and spiritual development that you can't separate them it's impossible to separate them and so it we still have a long way to go sarah i think that there there's um there are certain words that i can use certain words i can't use and it's a shame because in fact if we were to be fully ourselves, you know, when I watch The Crown, you know, people can't be themselves. They, they have to be according to a certain look or a certain set of rules. Um, that's still very much happening in the corporate world. However, we do see cracks in that. We, do, we definitely see cracks. You know, there's people meditating. There's people uh, talking about spaciousness and stillness. But they're not... The, the vocabulary is not beyond that. And so that, that piece is where I think we, we need to step into the next phase of humanity. We're, gonna, we're going to need to be more inclusive of language that actually incorporates what you and I are talking about during this past hour. Mm. Um, so hopefully that's helpful to everyone. It, I think there are cracks, but I think we have a long way to go. So, As you're speaking, it's reminding me of what you said. It's um, a a developmental stage in relationship to power that moves from the me first to the win-win that the corporate world is going through possibly now. And you're part of that. Yes. Yes. And I feel very privileged to be living at this point in time because I feel that my mission is really to help people to embrace and accept and 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 to to see that there's so much more you know to their life to to uh to relationships than what meets the eye than the physical piece there's you know our spiritual being is so powerful and if we can all um without the need to be right you know, have dialogue, have discussions and discourse, um, 
that's where that's where I'd like to see the world go, and that and that's why I do the videos that I do on my YouTube. I know you you watch some of them, Sarah, mm-hmm. and uh, I really believe that if we keep quiet, if we just try to pre- present ourselves in a certain way in order to get a speaking gig, or in my case, you know, a speaking gig, a job, whatever it is, um, we're not being true to ourselves, and we're not advancing humanity. Mm. It, you know, what you're really saying is by not showing up, uh, the world is missing something. <laughs> yes. The gift of, of your presence. Um, and, yeah, and I always say, isn't that the greatest form of influence for you to show up fully as who you are? Mm. Well, I just love your energy. Somehow you have a very animating effect on me, Karen. Ah, likewise, <laughs> like, Sarah. I'm just like, you know, a bunch of bubbles um, jumping for joy here and opening up space in my being, just being in conversation with you. And I'm sure that will come across to our listeners. Is there anything you'd like to say in closing uh, to everyone that's listening? To be patient and loving with yourself as you go through these changes and practice, you know, separating the, the illusionary thoughts uh, from who you really are, to be patient and compassionate with yourself. Uh, well, listen, I know you have on your website uh, an assessment tool that you wanted to let people know about. Oh, yes. This is, this is a very fun uh, way to get to know more about yourself and your power patterns and how you can actually work uh, through them. So um, it's a quiz on my website. It's karenmcgregor.com. So you'll, you'll identify um, with one of the four archetypes of, of power. And uh, so it's fun. Please go to karenmcgregor.com. And you can also actually purchase my book there. Uh, if you purchase it on Amazon, that's great too. But um, when it's purchased on my site, karenmcgregor.com, you actually get wonderful trainings um, as part of the gift with the book. You get that automatically. Wonderful. Okay, we'll have Karen's information in the podcast notes, and it's easy to remember, karenmcgregor.com. And I want to thank you so much, Karen, for taking the time in your day to spend with us on the Earth Love Spirit podcast. Thank you so much, Sarah. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Blessings all. Thanks for listening to the Earth Love Spirit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend. And be sure to give us some stars and a favorable review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in.